Good evening. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse number 17. I'm entitled the message, Walking in Truth and Holiness. This message could have been titled, What to Do with the Old Man. But then that might give you ideas about what I'm talking about. We're not talking about getting rid of a bad husband or a bad father but rather about building on what the Apostle Paul has already said to the Ephesian believers about walking worthy of their calling as Christians. Now he tells them that they must work it out. First of all, I want you to see the admonition to walk differently, beginning in verse number 17. He says, This I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness." There is an imperative, a command in verse 1 that we do not readily see in the King James Version. But the NIV does a good job of making that command clear. Here's what the NIV says. So, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The point that Paul is making is that, and since perhaps most of the people he's talking to in this letter are Gentiles, is that they no longer live as they once did, not to revert back to their former way of life. It's easy to fall back into old patterns of behavior. He not only tells the Ephesians to live differently, he insists on it by saying, in the Lord. Now, He's trying to get us to see this is not just a suggestion that Paul is giving, but that it comes with God's authority. The reason for the seriousness of this command is, is that it is based on the downward spiral of a life that has lived apart from God. There are four stages in this downward spiral that he gives us. He says, first of all, because of the blindness of their heart. John Stott gave these new names. He called this first one hardness. Hardness. Uh, In his letter to the Romans, Paul points out that the hardness of their heart is being seen in that they actively suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul is talking about aggressive suppression of the truth. If you don't believe that is true, and you don't believe that happens in our day, just try to talk about believing in creationism. You very quickly are told that only people without much intellect or education believe in creationism. In spite of the fact that evolution is quote, unquote, a theory. And there really is not sufficient proof to back up their theory. 
hardness of their heart. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which leads to the second stage, which is darkness, having their understanding darkened. We see almost the same uh, phrase used in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, and their foolish heart was darkened. Hardness leads to darkness, which leads to deadness, being alienated from the life of God, which ultimately leads to recklessness, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all cleanness, cleanliness with greediness. He's saying that the problem with sin is that it is never enough. You enter into a, a sinful behavior, you find it takes more and more and more. It's more like drug addiction. Brian Chapel, in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, summarizes this whole thing well. He says, why do Christians need these kind of warnings? The sin in which we indulge for a while hardens our heart. It darkens our minds to the evil of what we are doing, and ultimately it makes us less sensitive to and less fulfilled by the profound satisfaction that God provides by his blessings in our lives. Which brings us to the second point, and that is the argument for righteous living. Beginning in verse number 20. He says, But you have not learned, not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. <clears throat> to learn Christ is an unusual phrase, and it really occurs nowhere else in Scripture. What does it mean to learn Christ? He's saying that to become a Christian is a matter of coming to know Christ personally. Yes, you must know something about who Christ is, as revealed in Scripture. You must also know something about the significance of what he has done as he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. But I think the point he is making is that it is possible to know all those facts and still not know Jesus Christ personally. He says there are some things that we need to put off. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Paul's phrase is literally the old man, and he further identifies what he's talking about when he says concerning your former conduct. So the old man refers to all that we were before we were saved, when we were ruled by the evil desires and practices of our world. Paul uses that same phrase in Romans chapter 6 and in verse 6. In fact, Romans chapter 6 is a larger exposition of this same subject that Paul gives us a rather concise look at right now. Some things to put off, some things to put on, and be renewed to the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, be renewed. It means that this is an ongoing process that God performs in us as we cooperate with him. God does the renewing as we obey him by saturating our minds <clears throat> with the transforming 
Word of God. The third thing is the application to righteous living. And here he talks about some things to put away. Five sinful behaviors to avoid. First of all, falsehood. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What sharper break with the old life could we make than to abandon the way of the father of lies, as Satan is called in John chapter 8 and verse 44, and take a stand with God for whom it is impossible to lie, according to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. The Christian, however, must do more than avoid the outright lie. He must speak truth. Half-truth, which is also half a lie, will not do. We must speak the truth for Christian truth, for Christians rather. Truth is not a choice, but rather a necessity. Lying is destructive both to ourselves and to our relationship with others. Sometimes we seem to think that we can help people by lying to them, and such is not the case. Now, let me just digress a moment and say something to the men. Every truth does not have to be expressed. Scriptural admonition to speak the truth is not an excuse for unkindness. You do not say to your wife, dear, it looks like you're having a really bad hair day. That's not going to be a good thing for you to say. I promise you, you will regret it, whether it's true or false. If your wife asks you, how does this dress look on me? You're in dangerous territory already. If you do not like the dress, it would be better to say, you know I'm really not into zebra skin than to say, oh, that is really my favorite. It looks so good on you. What are you going to say in the future when she wears it because she knows it's your favorite? The lies will come back to haunt you. The second is anger. And this is proof that God has a way of humbling us. Because I really lost my temper this week. I really got angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anger is not in and of itself a sin, but our anger can, if we're not very careful, lead us to sin. Aristotle wrote, But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. And we have to admit that most of our anger is absolutely the truth at the wrong time, at the wrong person, and for the wrong reasons. The danger of anger is in us allowing it to linger. The old man gets angry and lets it linger And get out of control. It is right for us to acknowledge our anger. However, there is, as I've said, danger. It is possible to be angry and sin not, according to the scripture. But human anger is usually destructive. For that reason, three qualifiers are given 
for anger management. First of all, be angry and do not sin. Don't let your anger get the upper hand in your life. Anger is largely a self-centered emotion. It is a reaction to the fact that the world is not as we would like it. Number two, don't let your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that doesn't mean that your anger is to be governed by the sunset. This means don't nurse anger. Anger easily leads to resentment and bitterness, and these must be carefully guarded against. And then he says, don't give the devil a foothold. The devil will use anything that he can to hinder God's people. Even righteous anger can easily be turned to bitterness and resentment. If given place, it infects and mutates into further resentment and hostility. When anger rears its head, we have a choice of several things we can do. One, we can repress it. Usually that's not a very good thing to do either. Rather than express our anger, we deny it and keep it inside. Until we explode. Secondly, we express it. Or third, we process it. There are some definite steps if we are to process our anger. First, we have to stop and analyze. That can be pretty confusing sometimes, especially if you don't remember what you're angry about. And that does happen from time to time. Secondly, when you're angry, you need to confess it. Have you ever asked someone if they were angry only to have them answer, I am not angry. They're angry. But you cannot deal with anger if you deny it. To defeat your anger, you must determine to forego vengeance. If you're out to get even, then the problem is only going to escalate. Simon's, Simon's, Solomon's sound counsel concerning anger was a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Next, stealing. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, it doesn't take a particularly clever mind to understand that stealing is taking what doesn't belong to you. But Paul enlarges on that basic commandment by adding, let him labor working with his own hands. So living at the expense of other people without working on your own is a form of theft, Not to pay a fair wage is theft. For workers to give the one who has hired them less than a full day's labor is theft. All of those, going back to what Paul was talking about in stealing. The next one is corrupt communications. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. But Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And the word translated corrupt word is a word that is used to describe rotten fruit. Fruit that is only good to be thrown away. This unwholesome talk means not just profanity. 
Our words don't have to be dirty to be worthless. It means any kind of talk that criticizes or tears other people down. Now, the old man doesn't worry or care about what comes out of his mouth. But the new man does not engage in unwholesome talk, but seeks to speak to that which is uplifting to those who hear. Paul says that we have to be careful how we use our words. The Old Testament teaches us reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. As I said, corrupt is a word which means putrid or rotten. And although such language is not usual among believers, it certainly is among unbelievers. Jesus taught about the significance of speech. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus tells us that our words reveal what's in our heart. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus warns us a particularly scary thing, that we will give an account of every careless word that we've ever spoken. Paul tells us to speak in such a way that we will build up rather than tear down other people. Our words should minister grace and help. He also says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, the first really thing ought to come to our mind is that the Holy Spirit is a person. You cannot grieve an impersonal force. You cannot hurt a power You can hurt a person. You cannot disappoint an influence. It is a person that you disappoint. And the term grieve means to to give or cause pain. There's an incident in my past that when I really hurt my father, I don't know if I've ever told this story or not. I can't really believe I've been here 30 years and haven't told it, but my mom and dad were going somewhere for a while, and my cousin was staying over at my house with me. Dad's final words to me as he left the yard that afternoon was, do not drive the truck. Seems fairly clear, but, and you know that can be an ominous word, but, but my cousin and I wanted to go fishing, and the boat was at the house. Surely, my dad did not mean that I could not drive the truck across the field to the pond. That's my reasoning. Okay, so you had to drive down the road about 100 yards to get to the gate to go to the pond, but still, you see my reason. Well, we loaded up the boat, and off we went to the pond. Unfortunately, I backed up too close to the pond, and I got stuck. Not good. So what can I do? Well, I ran to my grandfather's house so that he would get me out of trouble. So Grandpa threw me the keys to his truck and said, go pull it out. Well, unfortunately, the mud hole 
that we had gone through once did not allow us to go through twice. So now I have my dad's truck stuck and my grandfather's truck stuck in the field. So what am I going to do now? Now we have two trucks stuck. Well, my cousin has a hot rod truck. And obviously a hot rod truck will pull out anything, anywhere. I'll just say that my cousin's truck got stuck behind my grandpa's truck in the field. And dad's not home yet. What's the boy to do? Well, I thought about running away from home, but all the vehicles were stuck. So, when Dad got home, I had not one, but three trucks stuck in the field. My dad had to call my uncle to bring his rather large tractor over to pull the three trucks out of the field. After which, I fully expected to be beat to death. What my my dad did was worse. He looked at me and he said, I'm real disappointed in you. I'd failed to consider how bad that hurt my dad. And I wonder, have you ever stopped to consider how your sins hurt the Holy Spirit? How can you grieve the Holy Spirit? In the course of your day, do you ever forget to whom you belong? Are you critical of other people? Do you allow yourself to engage in worry? Do you assure others that God is in control but fail to believe and act on that yourself? Verse 31 says that we're to put away all past destructive behavior. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be done away from you with all malice. So here are six unpleasant attitudes. Bitterness. A resentful spirit that refuses to be reconciled. Bitterness results from anger or hurt feelings that are not dealt with, and it is, in effect, a long-term hostility. Wrath. Rather interesting word in the Greek, it is thumos. It speaks of heat or passion, thus a passionate outburst. It is an explosion On the outside, caused by feelings on the inside. Anger. That's settled and sullen hostility. Clamor. That's getting excited and shouting at each other. Evil speaking. Speaking, thinking and speaking evil against others. Malice. Wishing evil or plotting evil against people. We have to learn to give our frustrations and our disappointments and our hurt feelings over the Lord instead of harboring feelings of anger. And finally, 
put away past hurts. Verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Every conflict needs to come to a conclusion. It needs to end. It needs to be finished so that those involved can move on. Family members can keep the same disagreements going on for years. I have spoken about the fact that I am a true Arkansas hillbilly, that our family actually had a feud between my grandfather's family and my grandmother's family. My grandmother's father shot and killed my grandfather's brother over a disagreement, over passage, over a piece of land. Left behind five little children because of anger. The idea here is the abandonment of one attitude completely and replacing it with another. I'm not going to tell you that forgiving people is always easy. But we as Christians have the greatest incentive of all for doing so. The fact that we have been forgiven so much by the Lord. Forgiveness of someone is not a denial of accountability. It is a refusal to allow the past wrong to destroy the present. Let's pray. Father, it's t- <clears throat> it is easy for us to fall back into the old patterns of behavior of the old man. We see it all around us in the world in which we live, the way in which our society reacts, and so it's easy for us to forget that we've been called to be different. Forgive us, Lord, when we have grieved your Holy Spirit with our conduct, our attitudes, the things that we have done and the things that we have said. Help us to live in realization that we are new in you, that we get to choose whether we will live the old way or the new way. And help us, Lord, when we fail to seek your forgiveness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.